Hello everyone. In this podcast I shall be exploring the arrival of a hugely controversial movie at Tembe in South Pembrokeshire and the fascinating responses it elicited from all walks of life in the local weekly paper, the Tembe Observer. That film is The Exorcist. There are some films in any genre that define and sometimes redefine their genres and which can truly make the viewer believe in the power of cinema. With regards to the supernatural or horror genre, and by that broad term I do not mean the tedious stalk and slash blood-drenched misogynistic mundanity that attempts to pass itself off as entertainment these days, where the terror is all in the eye and not in the mind. I lean more towards Poe than Clive Barker, and I regard truly great horror to be thought-provoking, unnerving, emotional and suspenseful, with more recent films like The Quiet Place, Get Out, Invisible Man and Saint Maud all fit in this category of the intelligently and subtly terrifying. I'm also a complete fan of The Shining, but that's because I love Jack Nicholson and Stanley Kubrick, and of course the original Alien. Three other horror films to pigeonhole them into a specific genre, all made in the early part of the 1970s, are, in my humble opinion, amongst some of the best films ever committed to celluloid. The first two are Robin Hardy's The Wicker Man and Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now, films that are poles apart in style and story but both equally brilliant in what they achieve. And they are both hairs on the back of the neck unsettling, with very little bloodletting. The third is perhaps the most controversial of them all, and was the one that appeared in Tembi Cinema Screens in 1974. William Friedkin's screen version of William Peter Blatty's based-in-fact novel, The Exorcist. Blatty, until The Exorcist, had been mainly a writer of comedy. Anyone who has seen and laughed hilariously at Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau in A Shot in the Dark, playing billiards with a bent cue, owes much to Blatty's contribution as to Sellers' unparalleled delivery, for it was Blatty that helped write the script. He even had a quote on his desk from the New York Times that read, Nobody can write funnier lines than William Peter Blatty. The Exorcist was very much new territory for him. Blatty was very religious, raised by Jesuits and given a Catholic education, and he was very serious about his belief in God. I first saw this amazing film in 1998 on the big screen at the ramshackle, leaking, now-closed cinema in Tembe, on its re-release, and has remained one of my favourite films since. Only recently, after a bad day, did I cast work aside in need of some level of comfort. For that I once again turned to The Exorcist, which despite all its horrors can make you believe in the power of good over evil. Maybe I'm just weird, but hey... I can also now confess that once whilst in New York I bought a copy of Blatty's book in a thrift store and accidentally left it in the hotel when I came home. I saw this as a sort of unsettling alternative to the traditional Gideon's Bible and apologised to the maid who had to discover it whilst cleaning up after me. Anyway, putting that aside, these are films that can make people think, can raise an opinion as well as the hairs on the back of the neck, can make the dark seem all that more threatening. Films that have something to say, even if it is not always what Joe Public wishes to hear. Films that, to almost quote the character of Detective Kinderman in The Exorcist, can be talked over, discussed and critiqued. Of course, this podcast is only my opinion. I say enjoy whatever it is you watch and be happy. There is room enough for all, and so, I repeat, everything expressed here is only my opinion. Neither right nor wrong. For those of you who do not know the story of the film of The Exorcist, let me offer this briefest of plot synopsis, and warning, spoilers do follow for those of you who remain uninitiated. A young girl, 
Reagan, becomes possessed by the spirit of evil, in this instance manifested as the demon Pazuzu, literally turning her into the daughter from hell. Her mother, Chris, an atheist, having failed to find a scientific explanation for her daughter's disturbing behaviour, approaches a priest, Father Karras, for assistance. Karras himself is troubled. His mother has recently died and, racked in guilt, he is suffering a crisis of faith. With the assistance of Father Merrin, who has already encountered Bazuzu in Iraq in the film's brilliantly atmospheric opening scenes, Karras risks his sanity and his life in exorcising the demon from the young girl. Both priests sacrifice themselves for the greater good in the process, with Karras undergoing a redemption of his faith in his final moments. Sorry about that. Anyway, explained in such nutshell terms, the movie can sound horribly trite. But there is far more to it than that. Outside of the head-turning, pea-green-spewing, crucifix-abusing and foul-mouth-tormenting, there lies at heart a deeply moral film that is emotionally complex and intelligent. For a horror film, it is only one jump scare. The power rests elsewhere. In the words of the novelist and screenwriter William Peter Blatty, raised, as I say, as a Jesuit, the exorcism of an evil spirit is tangible evidence of transcendence. If there were demons, there were angels, and probably a god and a life everlasting. In a 1979 interview for Films and Filming magazine, the agnostic Jewish, wonderfully opinionated and brilliant director William Friedkin was asked about The Exorcist and whether it would have the same impact on audiences if released at that time. He believed it would, stating, I think they would still be disturbed by it because it deals, in my opinion, clearly but profoundly with the conflict of good and evil, and that's why people responded to it. In my opinion, it's a film that is pervaded by the presence of God, to me, it poses large forces in mortal conflict with one another. In his brilliant and typically Frank autobiography, The Freakin Connection, Freakin wrote, I didn't see it as a horror film, quite the opposite. I read it as a transcendent, as Blatty had intended. Freakin later expounded on this further in his introduction to the re-released DVD unseen version of the film, saying The Exorcist is a film about the mystery of faith. It's a story that can make you question your own value system, even your own sanity, because it strongly and realistically tries to make a case for spiritual values in the universe, both good and evil. Over the years, I think that most people take out of the exorcist what they bring to it. If you believe the world is a dark and evil place, then the exorcist will reinforce that. But if you believe that there is a force for good that combats and eventually triumphs over evil, then you will be taken out of the film what we try to put into it. It is the ultimate contest of good against evil, and can act as a metaphor, if preferred to be not taken literally, for so many things. As my namesake, respected film critic and exorcist obsessive Mark Commode wrote in his wonderful BFI book on the film, eschewing the accustomed high campery of the traditional horror romps, the exorcist presented a credible portrait of the modern urban world ripped apart by an obscene ancient evil. For the first time in a mainstream movie, audiences witnessed the graphic desecration of everything that was considered wholesome and good about the fading American dream. The home, the family, the church, and most shockingly, the child. On a radio interview in 2010, he said he had seen it over 200 times, and many years have passed since then. I myself cannot compete with that figure, but I'm giving him a very distant run for his money. The film could be interpreted in so many ways. This was the time of Watergate and the end of the Vietnam War. America was entering the first in a series of recessions that would continue over the decade. There was a generational rift happening in America. The world was in a state of flux. 
again. Writer Nat Siegeloff, whose most recent work, the brilliant The Exorcist Legacy, 50 Years of Fear, was an employee at a Boston cinema when the film was shown on Christmas Day in 1973. He recalled that no one vomited when it was shown. These myths had not yet been developed. Siegeloff believes that there are two main ways to interpret the film. First, as a straightforward mystery. The second, and the one that star Ellen Burstyn espouses, is that it's about a mother trying to protect her child and will go to any lengths to do so. He recalled that whenever people were running out of the cinema, usually because of the hospital scenes where Regan undergoes several invasive procedures, they were mostly men. The women stayed because they had a mothering instinct and wanted to know what happened to the child. Friedkin believes the medical science impinging upon the innocence of the little girl disturbs audiences the most and he's correct in that. These scenes are shot in an almost documentary way. Critic John Kenneth Muir stated, It looks, sounds and feels totally real. For a time it is medicine that possesses Regan, not the devil. But the legacy of those scenes continued long after the film's release. In the 2021 DV commentary, Freakin claimed that the scene, perhaps the most realistic depiction of a medical procedure in a popular film, was used in radiological training films for years afterwards. The film also had other effects, as an article from the Washington Post in January 1974 paid testament to. Titled Bedeviled by Film, Curious Go to GU, making reference to the campus of Georgetown University where Cowess was a psychiatric counsellor, the article quoted a Jesuit priest, Reverend Edward G. Ryan, as saying, People are coming from all over to see the chapel, to hear mass, to discuss exorcism, and how the priests there were afraid it may result in a wave of exaggerated belief in demonic possession. Father Ryan explained that we've received numerous calls wondering about a cousin, sister or other relative, whether they might be possessed. He went on to say, it's hard to distinguish between a natural curiosity and a real rise in the manifestations, and added that although he had never seen a genuine case of possession, he believed in the possibility. Evil spirits, he explained, could dominate a body, but never a soul. And the spirits can manifest themselves by spastic movements or hysterical convulsions, speaking in strange tongues having extraordinary strength and knowing of things that cannot be known. Sound familiar? Yet, in the same article, another university psychologist, Reverend Juan B. Cortes, concluded that demons do not exist and exorcisms should never be performed due to the extreme psychological damage they can do. Cortes agreed that the devil existed, but that Satan can never enter inside a person, and that the film was, to quote, a victory for the devil because people will believe he can actually possess them and even cause death. But, the article rejoined, the most recent issue of the National Jesuit News reported that another exorcism had been performed in an unnamed city to relieve an entire family of strange happenings. This exorcism resulted in the defeat of the evil spirit by the power of good. That eternal fight again. Numerous films have over the years been hit by the censorship laws, and a few have been banned outright. The Exorcist came under close scrutiny for years because of some of its more graphic scenes, even if its most affecting aspects take part in the mind and the imagination of the viewer. Added to that, of course, film, censorship and religion have often been uncomfortable bedfellows. Just ask the Monty Python team. Critics were divided. They either loved it or hated it. The evangelist Billy Graham appeared to have missed the entire point and tenure of the film when he denounced it for having a power of evil, claiming an actual demon lived inside the celluloid reel of the movie. And this came from the man who said, if we had more hell in the pulpit, we would have less hell in the pew. Whereas others, including members of the clergy, championed its cause. Interestingly, the Catholic Church had no issue with the film as they felt that it reinforced their dogma. 
In a 2001 article on Catholic Exchange, James Bemis concluded, So while The Exorcist remains shocking and even offensive, it is ultimately a powerful morality tale, and, once we look beyond the special effects and cinematic stunts, a profoundly religious film as well. In Tembi, a special private showing preceded the availability of the film for public viewing for members of the South Pembrokeshire District Council on the afternoon of the 4th of October 1974. The film had premiered in America on 26th of December 1973 and in the UK in London on 14th of March 1974, so on its arrival in the small coastal town already had its own legends attached to it. In a conversation with Mark Commode, William Freakin said, the thing you have to understand is that after the first reaction to The Exorcist, people were scared before they got into the cinema. Nat Siegeloff observed, like all great art, people take from it what they bring to it, and people brought a lot to The Exorcist. The Tembi Observer newspaper reported, Already neighbouring Priscelli District Council have seen the film and have approved its showing in their area. So far, the only formal objection the South Pembrokeshire District Council have received to the film is from the Festival of Light. The Festival of Light, a self-appointed moralist pressure group that sprang into existence in the 1970s as a result of a moral crusade against the 1970 stage production of Kenneth Tynan's O Calcutta, which featured sketches on sex-related topics as well as full frontal male and female nudity. This production, the Crusader stated, placed a heavy rod in the hands of the Philistines for generations. It was founded by Malcolm Muggridge, who was later vocal in his disgust at Monty Python's Life of Brian. Supporters of this group included the eternal bachelor boy Cliff Richard, but the main protagonist would become a household name for being disgusted, Mary Whitehouse, and in their rallying against the surge of a permissive society, the groups also attacked myriad other films, including Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs and Bernardo Bertolucci's Last Tango in Paris. The council obviously fell on the side of rationality and permitted the X-rated movie to be shown to mature audiences. This was much to the chagrin of one regular contributor to the Tembi Observer, who outlined her profound reservations in an article from 11th of October 1974 under the headline, That Film, I Would Ban It. The author went on to expound her theories on why the movie should not be allowed to see the light of day, not just in Tembi, but also all over. She wrote, My ban would not have been because of the so-called shocking content of the film, A Child Possessed by the Devil, or on the grounds of obscenity. I would simply have wished to ban it because I felt it is such an incredibly bad film. And when a film is considered to be so controversial that the buck has to be passed to local councillors to decide whether it should be shown or not, then the distributors are really on to a winner. What worries me about all this publicity for Rory is the psychological effect it has on the public, particularly when the film deals with such a disturbing and emotional subject as exorcism. Many members of the public have gone to see the exorcist brainwashed into believing they are going to be shocked, disgusted and disturbed. Once inside the cinema, a kind of mass hysteria sets in, and that is why we have the sight of women leaving after the film sobbing. Why strong young men emerge white and shaking, and why outside some cinemas, priests have been waiting to comfort the victims. She went on, I have read the book and I found it boring, verbose and lacking in subtlety. The film suffers from the same faults, although in fairness, there is some good acting. I found the actual possession and exorcism sequences very badly done. The excessive use of sanguine red paint, or perhaps it was tomato ketchup and what looked revoltingly like pea soup, would have disgraced even the most pathetic of amateur film societies. The writer concluded, 
I believe films like The Exorcist insult adult intelligence, and for that reason alone, they should be discouraged. Uh, perhaps now would be an appropriate time to mention that The Exorcist received 10 Oscar nominations in 1974, including Best Picture, Actress, Director and Cinematography, and it won the award in the categories for Best Sound and Best Screenplay. It was the first horror film to be nominated for the Best Film Oscar. Maybe the article was a roundabout way of discouraging people from going to see the film, but it does not seem to have detracted people from attending the screening. In the same edition of the local newspaper came a reassuring letter entitled Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Exorcist? that read I should like to point out to anyone who has seen the film The Exorcist and has subsequently got the jitters that it is impossible for the devil to take possession of the soul unless it is by the absolute free will of the person concerned. So that's okay then. The terrifying aspect of the film does not seem to have affected many of Tembi's cinema goers who appear to have approached the film with a mature attitude. For many weeks after the opening, letters regarding the film continued to appear in the columns of the local paper. People challenged the argument against the special effects and mercifully the proposal that the film should be banned was discarded with the following lines In the environment in which we live, one person will never, I hope, have the power to throw out a film or a book or even an opinion that is the basic right of every individual to decide upon himself. Wise words. Perhaps the most interesting arguments for the film came from someone training for holy orders with the following letter to the newspaper. So, the great exorcist has got underway and already comment has been expressed concerning the acting, production and of course the entertainment value herein. The point is being missed however and the former are side issues. I can only conclude that the message of the exorcist was an admirable, clear and resounding triumph for Christianity over the dark forces. A horrific film perhaps, a revolting film possibly. A film so shocking that it demands attention, certainly. The Exorcist explodes the myth of the romantic image of a kindly and all-knowing priest to show us the very real and material problems that beset the priest. His feelings of guilt, his shortcomings, and the realisation of his limited ability to help. For all these imperfections that makes a priest a human agent, the conclusion of The Exorcist leaves us with more respect and understanding of the faith that he stands for than could any of his grossly idealised brothers in the numerous Dracula films. The writer concludes, The Exorcist presents us an evil, real and convincing, that some of us were repelled and condemned the film on side of bad taste. Perhaps the film had technical shortcomings. Perhaps at times it was short to perfection, but The Exorcist deserves to be acclaimed for its bold portrayal of evil, and by shocking us into the awareness to the concreteness of it around us. In this respect, the film is entirely successful. The film once again hit the local presses in the following week with this letter, entitled A Cinema Manager's View, appearing in print on 25th of October 1974. It reads, To criticise is one thing, to crucify is another. It is most unfortunate that certain people with no qualifications whatsoever in that particular field take upon themselves the role of guardians of their particular interpretation of public morals and quality of substance. Strong views indeed on both sides. The phenomenon of the exorcist was ongoing. In 1988, under new censorship laws, the film was removed from video shops and re-emerged for public viewing 11 years later in 1999, where it won legions, no demonic pun intended, of new fans and, of course, detractors. The legacy of The Exorcist continues as strong as ever. The film had two sequels, one with Richard Burton, which was described by Freakin as a stupid mess, as bad as seeing a traffic accident in the street, and Blatty claimed to have been the first person in the cinema to start laughing, and a third film, the Exorcist 3, which was based on Blatty's novel Legion, saw George C. Scott play in the Kinderman character and was a very good film. There was also a fourth sequel which has two different versions, one awful, 
one more thought-provoking, and in 2016 there was an American television series starring Gina Davis as an adult Reagan. Two new films, The Exorcist Believer, which was released in 2023, and The Exorcist Deceiver is planned for 2025, and an untitled Exorcist film is apparently also in the pipeline. Numerous books and articles continue to be written about the film. Mark Commode was less than complimentary about The Exorcist, The Believer, stating on his radio programme with Simon Mayo that it is a movie made by people who have seen the original but not seen the original. They've watched it but they haven't understood it. And when asked what the best part of the film was, Commode responded, it ends. To the point and says all it needed to say. Nothing can or will better the original. The medium of DVD and streaming services now also allows the public to see the original cut of the film, including the infamous spider's walk scene as well as subliminal cuts of the face of Regan's demon. Many documentaries made about the making of the film show the filmmakers approaching the subject with deadly seriousness, intelligently arguing the need for the inclusion of certain unsettling and disturbing scenes to emphasise the good versus evil morality of the story. It is interesting to see that the small coastal town of Tembe, in the tucked away corner of South West Wales, was part of the event that was the exorcist from the beginning. Thank you. <laughs>